It's episode 49 of G.I. Joburg. Or is it? Maybe we should rename ourselves Toy Biz Town. <laughs> In this episode, we talk about what happened to toy collecting once G.I. Joe shuffled off to die. Because in 1994, this particular podcaster was all of 10 years old, and he needed his toy hobby, or habit, to migrate to greener pastures after G.I. Joe had dried up. And where did he turn? Well, to the loving arms of a company called Toy Biz, and their take on the Marvel superheroes. I'm Steve. I think I'm Paul. <laughs> I'm definitely Rob. And tonight, we get knee-deep in Toy Biz Marvel Superheroes collection. Something that I feel we have to address, because at least for these three individuals, this toy line played a huge role for us. In fact, for a time, it completely eclipsed G.I. Joe. So, we're going to be committing some sacrilege, but we're going to be committing it for the second time. This, ladies and gentlemen, of our beloved fan following is a repeat recording. Because yours truly forgot to... <laughs> Thank you, Paul. <laughs> forgot to hit the record button the last time. So expect slightly more polish... <laughs> but God, expect so. expect us to really try hard to laugh at the same gags because everybody <laughs> knows what everyone else is going to say or do we i don't know or do we yeah how, how good is your memory of two nights ago fellas um, i was really drunk that night so yeah i don't remember anything <laughs> <laughs> oh no, i don't drink oh <laughs> <laughs> god <laughs> That's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How about you, Paul? Your memory uh, availing you as always. Um, I can remember a few things, uh, but for the most part, I can. I've thought of better things I could say. So let's hope that I remember those things when I'm when I'm talking about my beloved Kenner and Toybiz uh, phase. It's going to be interesting. I don't think uh, I'll be able to repeat any jokes, but I should have some new ones. Hopefully. Very good. Very good, yes. And new toys, dare I ask? I mean, it's going to be like deja vu, so for the three of us, it's going to be old toys, but uh, hopefully for you listeners, we're about to tell you about some new stuff that's rocking our world currently. Paul, what can you tell us? Tiger Force Shipwreck oh. has finally arrived. <laughs> no. Uh, Postal Strike has finally ended, and it seems like stuff is getting through, and the the wonderful present that, like, that was sent to me from Cape Town uh, is now out of limbo or purgatory, and has now finally made it into my collector's, collector's hands. Only or, four months overdue. <laughs> only four months overdue, oh, yeah. Oh, God. But, but I've got to say, while Tiger Force Shipwreck or Marujo is really awesome, what a really fantastic little figurine. I don't want to go into it too much because I'm pretty sure most of our listeners have either got one or are trying not to purchase one. But this is why you should. Here's the best uh, Here's the best version of a classic sculpt for Shipwreck by far. I mean, 
his hands are great, the arms are great. Okay, fine, he's got fully sleeved arms, but they're awesome. Those arms are comprised of the shock viper arms, uh, upper arms, and lifelines forearms. He's got two trigger holding uh, hands, if you know what I mean. Like he's got two fingers pointing out to hold triggers on the gun. Comes with a sweet M16 that I haven't seen with another figurine, or should I say, I can't remember seeing it with any of the other modern era Joes I have in my possession. So it's fairly new to me. Does it Comes have with the, the, little, the little strap? Uh, loops. It has the little loops, yeah. Mm, yeah, that uh, that comes from an earlier period. That comes from the the th- comic three packs. Uh, oh right. And that was the first time I ever saw it. It was released with Duke. Mm. Oh, it's a nice. it's a great M16. Yeah, it's it's really funky. It's really well sculpted. It looks great with shipwreck. And is the fully sleeved arms not true to his uh, source material, the Marujo figure? I believe it is. Yes. Oh well. I haven't looked at Marujo in a while now, but uh, as far as I know, it is. I like the fact that he's not, you know, two hundred dollars. You know, that's great. So, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am particularly impressed with his file card, which you made me aware of, Paul. Yes, the Collectors Club. I can't confirm this for all Collectors Club, but I imagine that it's, it might be a sound to assume, or fair to assume, that all of the Collectors Club have a little bit of an added something-something to the file cards. And this one is uh, all of Shipwreck's usual stuff from his original file card, but there's an extra section that reads, Unfortunately, Shipwreck's incredibly arrogant attitude has caused trouble more than once with his teammates. To smooth things over, he and his pet parrot, Polly, have been transferred to Tiger Force Unit to handle a hostile situation in Brazil. Luckily for him, when something can't be resolved with force, he can fall back on a number of amusing tricks he performs with his tattoos to keep everyone entertained. And there you have it, folks. That is a new addition to that file card. So Tricks I to perform with his tattoos. Yes. What, does he have, wow. like, a, a naked woman tattooed on his armpit or something? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> With his, his, uh, his one arm and, uh, and the side of his, his torso, you know, representing her legs. Like, what, what are we talking about here? Well, last I checked, he has an anchor and or a shark tattoo. <laughs> that we can see. And yes, his original Commandos M. Akao. I probably butchered that, has got long sleeves. Mm. And he comes with um, Footloose's accessories, the Law Launcher and uh, and an M16. Yeah, no, in Brazil, in Brazil, Shipwreck don't fuck around. No doubt, <laughs> but no poly, so... Mm. Yeah, well, he ate the parrot. It's <laughs> rough, it. I like... I mean, uh, why is it that the parrot has to, has to pay for Shipwreck's screw-ups? It's like... They very, very distinctly list that Shipwreck and his pet <laughs> transferred to Tiger Force to make I amends. Think I think it's because Polly's an enabler. Mm, you know, I have to agree with you. Yeah, I think Polly's She's just so an enabler. so rude. <laughs> yeah, that bird's she an asshole. He says really bad man. things. He's not like freedom, <laughs> you know, all about the cause and justice and doing the right thing, you know. <gasps> nice segue there about freedom. <laughs> Rob, Rob's freedom finally has feet. Oh, awesome! She can finally land. 
<laughs> and a much nicer version of Spirit as well. So, uh, Robbie, you can trade in that tired old one for a new one. And just in time for your birthday, it seems. Woohoo! Excellent. I get the same gift for Christmas and my birthday. Woo! <laughs> Speaking of how many of those. <laughs> Told you, buddy, this is a better one. <laughs> how many of those vintage spirits are you guys kicking around? Uh, two, I guess. Uh, okay. Right. No, I was just curious. More? Uh, I'm not going to say no, but I mean, like, you know, I'm glad that Rob's actually got freedom now with feet. <laughs> Sorry. But it's just, it's kind of funny. <laughs> now with feet. I'm happy as well. I just yeah. want to say something that's come with Shipwreck that is a great weapon, and I wish more of the sort of marine-based Joes would come with it, is a harpoon gun. That thing is so much fun in Far Cry 4 that I'm just glad that I finally got a Joe that's got a harpoon gun. It's just nasty. And not some kind of sci-fi harpoon gun, a sort of, you know, balls-to-the-wall, honest-looking harpoon gun. I'm okay. going to get that whale. Yar! <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yes, Rob, you were going to tell us about something amazing. <laughs> no oh, pressure. was I? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got the Starkiller figure from the um, three and three-quarter inch uh, Black Series. That's kind of the only thing that I've gotten recently. But it's... It's cool because I'm going to do a video for my channel unboxing it and listicarding it. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. So there'll, there'll be a new video on my channel at some point, which I'm, I'm quite happy about. So I'm holding off. Yeah, I'm holding off and freeing it until, until yeah, I get a chance to record that. So I don't, don't want to add to your woes there, but you should totally like see if you can get it done at like Steve's place and then just put all kinds of, you know, sort of Star Wars items in the back. You know, like all these guys do. They were like... I'm just going to, like, unopen my figure here and uh, just uh, sort of scantily show off my amazing collection. Oh, look, it's my Millennium Falcon in the background. Okay, I'm just going to open it. Okay. You know? You should totally do that. Like, have the at-at in the background. They're all like, you know, i got to show off my awesome toy collection. And, you know, I think I think you should join that. I mean, I know that you can add your own special something-something to it. So it'll be cool. <laughs> Yeah, why not? I, I should probably do that, actually. Anytime. Yeah, see if you can get, like, Steve's cat on your lap or something like that and go, Oh, it's Jinkies! <laughs> you know, just like... <laughs> Sorry. Because some of these guys have the most unprofessional openings. It's... My cats are dead. <laughs> My cats are dead, Paul. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I didn't realize all of your cats are dead. Captain Insensitive. How's Chance, by the way? It's going to be Chance really awkward if I try and, like, find those cats. <laughs> I got really it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like, no, we should just say, no, that's horrible. That's just, no, that, I'm so sorry, Steve. Chance is well, thank you. No, she's she's good. She's um, doing her thing. And well fed. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And I, I do take her outside and play with her, but she's, like, so not interested in running anymore. She's like, fuck that, human. You know? <laughs> I threw a toy out the other day, and she like she like saw the toy land, and she's like, "Oh, cool! Yeah, you can throw, white nice. boy." I'm like, "Thanks, dog. Go fetch yeah. it." And she's like, "Yeah, maybe next time." <laughs> That's how she is. If the neighbors ask, uh, Chance just says, "I'm busy exercising my human." Throw yes. the fucking toy, human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what she's doing. Unashamedly, but yeah, man. Looking forward to that unboxing, because that is a great toy. I got one myself, also through special means, via Santa Claus. And, uh, yeah, 
great, great toy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's inside the packaging, there's a lot of cool stuff that comes with it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to pulling it out. And Steve, anything new in your corner of the cape? I'm very pleased to announce that in spite of postal strikes, I have new vintage Action Force figures. How did you manage that? They were given to me by a friend that I work with. Quite overwhelming, actually. I mean, the last time that happened, it was a guy giving me his rather beat-up core collection. But no, my very recent good friend, Nick... Because anyone who gives me free toys gets a free ticket to the good friend bill. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, you collect this stuff. I mean, I, nowadays I, I tend to be very open about my hobby because I'm too old to give a damn otherwise. I mean, <laughs> colleagues that I work with, they find out almost immediately that I have this freaky little little habit. Potential girlfriends. I mean, I just wear it on my sleeve. I don't care. So as a result of this newfound openness about collecting three and three quarter inch plastic men, uh, people come out of the woodwork and say, hey, I've got an old Tupperware under my bed or in my ceiling or in my garage of action figures. Want to take a look? Uh, so I was very, very pleased when he brought them to work one night. And by the end of it, seeing how thrilled I was to go through his collection and put the various weapons with their appropriate figures, he said, have them, buddy. You'll find a much better home with you than with me. So I have Z-Force members, the infantrymen, a guy called Tracker, who's a heavy machine gunner, and the infamous Captain Campbell, wearer of the Red Beret and protagonist in many an Action Force comic book that I've recently acquired as well, which I'm very stoked about. I also got a Arctic Trooper by the name of Blizzard. Not quite sure what subset he's a member of, but he's a damn fine figure. Some of them come with rubber backpacks that don't rely on anything as artificial as a back plug. No, no. These actually have rubber straps that lock onto the pack and make very, very convincing and believable harness. Which is something that you might see a couple of modern era G.I. Joes having. But yes, friends... Pally Toy was doing this back in 1982, so it's taken us quite a while to find our way back at that level of realism. But not only does he come with a removable backpack, very realistically sculpted and made of rubber with realistic straps, the backpack contains a extendable, well, I could only call it a ladder, but I imagine in the Arctic environments it would be used to fjord cross Ice crevasses. So, very well thought through little equipment inclusion. Then the jewel in the crown, I'd say, were the members of the SAS, or Special Air Service, which include a chopper pilot, whose name is, in fact, Chopper, his code name, with a extremely well-sculpted Colt 45 pistol. I also got, with Captain Campbell, a perfect... FNFAL rifle, which is probably my favorite uh, battle rifle. Sculpted in 1982, I challenge anyone out there to try and show me a better specimen. It could be produced by Hasbro, it could be produced by a third party like Marauder Inc. I think the sculpt on this gun is just sublime and unsurpassed. You can't mess with perfection. 
<laughs> the SAS team that I was telling you about, also I received Barracuda, very well-sculpted Frogman. Of course, they are five points of articulation figures, so you're not likely to get him into any realistic diver poses other than standing. <laughs> <laughs> but Putting him on the side of a PT boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, your options are limited, but therein lies, I suppose, the strength of these five-pointers. They look quite perfect. They're not interrupted by various clunky-looking joints and metal rivets. Uh, This friend of mine told me at the time when he was handing them over, a couple of buddies of his had the original green shirts, original 13 G.I. Joe figures, and he said... He kind of turned his nose up at, at them because his action figures looked cleaner. They weren't encumbered by clunky-looking joints everywhere. And seen differently through his eyes, I have to admit, I see, ref, I see some merit in lesser articulated figures. They'll never surpass G.I. Joe because I am an articulation fan, and those of you listening to this podcast most likely would agree with that. But for just a moment, I had an insight into why less articulated figures have such great appeal. And it's something we see in the wars between two companies that we are going to discuss here tonight. Kenner, with their lesser articulated DC Universe characters, and Marvel with their super articulated Marvel Legends characters. Uh, And that is an ongoing debate. We probably won't get completely engulfed by this evening but uh yeah it was interesting to see to see his point of view and i i treasure these figures so at five points of articulation they couldn't be more perfect in spite of their limitations and the jewel in the crown my favorite of my new acquisitions the sas commando figure codenamed quickfire who is in fact german which is just layers and layers of interesting. He is dressed head to toe in black, except for a grey hood that he wears over his gas-masked face. And he looks a dead ringer for the SAS members involved in the liberation of the hostages from 1980s Iranian embassy incident. Interesting. So Quickfire is like, I was that guy. Totally. It's got supreme historical accuracy. And he came packing an MP5, just like those boys used on the day. Oh, that's really, really cool. How big are they, by the way? Are they like G.I. Joe size, or are they bigger than G.I. Joe size? No, they are vintage G.I. Joe scale. In fact, I put the Z-Force infantryman on my Z-Force ram, Palitoy named it something else. I think they called it uh, Assault Bike with Quarrel or something like that. But it's basically the ram in a a more emerald shade of green and with red accents to match the Z-Force kind of motif. And he does ride it quite nicely. Uh, He's in a kind of a standing position as opposed to being seated on the seat because his legs obviously can't bend at the knees. But he achieves a realistic pose on that bike which is impressive because it is intended for G.I. Joe action figures that were appropriated by Pally Toy and rebranded. And, I mean, in fact, the intended driver is a Scarlet redesign called Quarrel. Mm. Mm. 
in red yeah. and black and green. With Something that hair. we've seen released, actually. Oh, as yes. A, oh, yes. As an exclusive, yeah. Modern era style. Mm. Mm. Yeah, man. So there's scope to revisit Z-Force. And I'm waiting for a Captain Campbell. That would be very cool. Hopefully with three-day stubble and an FNFAL. <laughs> so I think the lesson to be taken away from the story is that if somebody goes, hey, are you interested in three inches of fun? You turn around and go, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes, you please. might get some new G.I. Joes. Well, some new old G.I. Joes. Or you might get sexually assaulted, in which case, just, you know, punch, run, punch, 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 punch. And you punch. didn't hear it on G.I. Joburg. No, and you didn't. Also, just a, a small <laughs> disclaimer as well. Although Steve may be very sweet about talking about his freaky hobby and, you know, how he's not ashamed of hiding it or anything like that, that is a good thing, and I think it's very important that you let your freak flag fly. But, ladies and gentlemen, Steve is not shy. This man, this man, has probably seen more Putang than most porn reviewers have, okay? So, please, don't be scared of hiding your hobby. Let your freak flag fly. Okay? And if you want to, let Stephen be your beacon. You charge me most unkindly, sir. <laughs> oh, I, I do. <laughs> Forsooth. Okay, maybe he hasn't seen that much, Putang. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently you do. <laughs> yeah, cool. Anyways, <laughs> folks, Toy Biz, what are your memories? What are your high points? Tell me, what did this toy line mean to you? And by toy line, I'm referring specifically to the 1991, 92, and onwards, where our focus shifted almost entirely from G.I. Joe to this new wave of superhero characters, and particularly the X-Men that debuted in and around that time. For myself, that was my introduction to the X-Men. I mean, I didn't really know the X-Men existed actually, until I saw that toy line, oddly enough. Bearing in mind, what kind of happened to me by that point is I had sort of uh, my my buddy, uh, who I've mentioned a few times on the show, Dave, I mean, he's Chinese, so when he came over here, like, you know, I didn't know about X-Men, so it's not something I would think of to talk to him about, and then he was introducing me to stuff like Dragon Ball Z, I was uh, being introduced to Gundam, I was being introduced to uh, animes like Saint Seiya, Yo-Yo Hakusho, stuff that was sort of relevant to that time in the anime world. And to me, I don't know, my focus wasn't really on anything sort of Western. And uh, and I'm not trying to make it sound like, oh, oh, like I was all like anti-Western because Dave and I were still very big G.I. Joe fans. It's just X-Men wasn't something that was going to jump out. Superheroes weren't that important to me at the time other than Batman. So it was really interesting for me you know, to discover these figurines and, and really not know where the hell they're from. Well, I think we were kind of recovering from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, this was not a toy line that I jumped on board uh, wholeheartedly. I think they pushed the envelope a little bit too far into the domain of wacky. So for some reason, coming off the strict military realism of G.I. Joe and being plunged straight into the Turtles was a bridge too far, even at the tender age of 10 years old. So when Toy Biz released their 1992 series of X-Men toys and gave particular focus to the new kids on the block being the X-Force, I was sold because these guys were grizzled. 
Some of them came with guns even. They were superheroes, so that expanded your play into a sort of fantastical and superhuman realm, which, hey, as a 10-year-old, that's exactly what I made my Ninja Force do anyway, but not go so far as to be wacky, neon-colored, and crazy. Sure, the superheroes had their exuberant colors, but it all seemed to mesh and make sense. It didn't, of course, hurt that these figures emulated the characters that we saw on cartoons every Saturday morning. Those of us lucky enough to have a friend to go and mooch and watch the paid TV channel Mnet. Like what? What it kind of happened uh, for myself was that I'd um, always used to go to the toy shops. I mean, uh, you guys know this very well, and maybe our listeners don't, so I'll fill you in. I've got a bit of a compulsion. I sort of walk into every toy store I see. So if I walk into a shopping mall. Any place that's got a toy section, I pretty much pop into. It's benefited me. In the most recent years, the, one of the biggest surprises I got was finding G.I. Joe's hidden deep inside of checkers, okay? You know, that just fueled my need to do that. This is something I'd done a lot as a kid. And I went with my dad once to Dion's, which was quite popular back then for toys. You might even hear Steve or Rob mention picking up uh, toy bus figures from a Dion's. And there they were, these X-Men, these characters I had no idea about. You know, I, I, I didn't know who they were, whatever. There was some guy in blue with a glowing red chest. And I was all like, okay, that's like clearly vampire guy. And and then there was this figure that was like yellow and blue. And he had claws. And I was like, he's actually pretty awesome. And I looked up, I looked, picked up the, the figurine and and um, he had a card with him. And it was Polaris. Uh, from the X-Men and was drawn, I think, very lovingly by Jim Lee or one of the other, you know, really great comic artists of the time. Not that I knew that, you know, but I was just like, who, you know, Polaris card and my brain was all confused. And then I saw his name, Wolverine. <laughs> That's right, folks, you heard that. <laughs> Wolverine. It's like, for some reason, when I was younger, uh, words like kamikaze, metropolis, things like that, just, I don't know, my brain just didn't break up those syllables. It just tried to string them together. So, he was Wolverine! <laughs> and uh, these figures had come out a good, I don't know, two weeks, maybe three weeks before the, the cartoon actually sh uh, aired here. I picked up one, and then I picked up loving Wolverine. And then David would uh, later on pick up other figures, uh, eventually acquiring a Gambit for free on the on the floor of a toy store. Um, I know that we went back and both got Iceman at some stage. I might have picked up Iceman and Wolverine or Wolverine and Sinister at the same time. I'm just trying to remember because they kind of very closely knit because I think it was like a Wednesday or something that I got the one and then it was a Saturday that I got the other two. So it could have gone either way. But Wolverine was my first one. And what a great toy. He has this sort of thing with these claws you can pop them in but they they never stay popped in because they just sort of like snicket snicket claws and he's got like a twisting action and that goes very well with the saber tooth from the same line who has like a scratching thing on his abs kind of uh, and you can hit it and then it like flips around like a hot wheels and it's got like a scratch section and this brought us a lot of joy three panel claw mark wound that is arch enemy wolverine inflicts <laughs> exactly and it was cool because david and i were always like then separated that way because finally i got to have the snake eyes of the x-men <laughs> um i had wolverine <laughs> and david had saber tooth and it was always like who's better who's better kind of thing but it was really interesting when i watched that fateful show the x-men animated series oh yes can we just have a moment for the intro song i think we'll have a moment for it right now
nostalgia. And I see that uh, it's available as a DVD box set now, finally. Three seasons of it. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And then I learned it wasn't Wolverine, it was Wolverine. And then, yeah, and that was it. That was that was sort of one of my love letters to, um, to Toy Buzz. You know, kind of, there we go. It was like, it sort of worked. Uh, these figures were articulated, and I know that I used to, because of G.I. Joe fandom, I mean, I used to sort of go for figurines that didn't have as many action features. So I know that that's different to you guys. I think in this superhero uh, assortment, what impressed me quite a bit is that, I mean, at least in this early stage, the action features took great strides in demonstrating a character's powers. Okay, so there was a lot of variation. No two action figures would necessarily have the same gimmick. It's not like you've got an entire wave released that all have a karate chopping action. No, you had guys that had light-up features, guys that came with rather exotic accessories. You had, as you mentioned, Sabretooth with a flipping chest panel to reveal battle damage. You had <laughs> the Banshee figure, which had a whistle protruding out of his back <laughs> to create the Banshee whale. You had Iceman, who, when placed in a freezer, the figure goes from white to clear ice. <laughs> With little blue things on it, yeah. Of course, some features worked better than others. I remember quite distinctly, my very first figure that I received from this line was also the very first figure that I ever returned <laughs> to a toy store. It was an imperative that uh, Lou Schwartz, the president of Toy Biz, had with this line of action figures, that he wanted the toys to not have features that would break in a week. Vis-a-vis, -vis, with Wolverine, he insisted that the slashing motion be in the waist and not in the shoulder, because, in his words, a shoulder slashing motion would be tough to do. You don't have that much room to work up in the shoulder. In the waist, you have the room you need for the gears. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the first figure I bought was Forge. And Forge, being the futuristic weapons expert of the X-Men, had a shoulder-based action feature. So, <laughs> Mr. Lou Schwartz... Did you have any idea when you were quoted saying that, that in the same stable of characters, one of these very, very finickety shoulder mechanisms was being implemented? I guess not. Well, you know, being the president and all, I suppose he's a busy man. But anyway, my forge broke the very day I got it. So it went back to Dion's, uh, and I exchanged it for who knows what. But I do know that very soon after that, I received the one-two punch of Cable and Deadpool, and thus my love for this toy line was cemented. Rob, what was your first figure that you got out of this line? My earliest memory is probably, yeah, also getting the Forge figure. For some reason, he just stood out to me amongst even the other sort of figures in the line. Was he not warming the pegs? Uh, probably a little bit, um, which is weird. I mean, he came with a gun. And he had like a see-through leg I, that that just sold him for me. Maybe it's because I, you know, kind of came off GI Joe, and I just wanted a dude with a gun again. <laughs> but he was just a cool figure, so he was definitely the first I got, but absolutely not the last. I mean, I know I have a whole bunch of these guys, 
one of the other early purchases was the Gambit from the third wave of the series. Um, (laughs) Because most of the figures have interesting play features that weren't annoying like they were in most other toy lines in general. They kind of fit in with the character or they weren't too innocuous. But with this guy, he has a leg-kicking feature, which (laughs) works a little too well and too often. I mean, you'd click his leg back. And he would start kicking away, like, for no reason at all. And it's absolutely impossible to stand. Yeah, I remember David with the Gambit that he got. I mean, aside from making little cards for Gambit, because ironically, that Gambit figure didn't come with playing cards or anything. He did you know, that too? Oh, man. Yeah. I remember taking the font down or, or minimizing as, as as small as I could little cards that I put onto, like, a, a Word document. Oh, wow. Printing them out. Mm. Oh, yeah, well, you're way more hardcore than him. He just uh, got little pieces of paper, like little bits of cardboard, and sort of uh, drew on them himself, made his little cards like that. It's weird that that figure didn't come with those cards. that's what I did at first. Uh, And then you were like, no, screw this low-tech shit. I'm going to go, you know, IT. Well, much later, after the advent of the Internet. Because, yeah, these figures did kind of come out before the internet sort of became mainstream for us. Yeah, I remember he actually intentionally broke that leg feature because it used to irritate the crap out of him, as I'm sure it did many people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was definitely an annoyance. The one figure that I always wish I could have got was the uh, Iceman figure, because this is something I think, as Stephen has said in a previous episode, about a see-through figure. It just looks so appealing. Yeah, just... it is very cool. And he's got his little ice board. <laughs> <laughs> Did it have wheels, Paul? No, it didn't. It didn't have wheels. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't have any wheels and Yeah, it is kind of weird because you put him on this board and I think both of his hands are punchy hands. So like you know, he's kinda of like going you know, he doesn't have like open hands or whatever, you know, to simulate the ice action. But I think that was because Toy Biz realized kids like to punch other toys with their toys. You know, not like sort of, you know, stab them in the eye or bitch slap them or anything. So Give him the fist, <laughs> Iceman. Give him the fist. Although I say that, but Wolverine, Wolverine's one hand is sort of open, you know, so. Ah, yeah. bitch slap. Yeah, so Wolverine's Boom. bitch slap and punch action, you know, you can you can choose. <laughs> but I think Iceman had dual punchies. Yeah, definitely. What, what I also like about this line, and it's probably what makes it appealing, kind of like the G.I. Joe line, is that there are lots of different characters, like even characters you've, you'd like never even heard of. And it was just, it's kind of cool that they kind of took that chance, you know, and like made a whole bunch of figures. Like even people like, I don't know, Gideon, whoever the hell that is. And, uh, <laughs> forearm. <laughs> Tusk. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they, I mean, the line featured a lot of variety, which made it very, very appealing to collect because you weren't just getting, you know, a hundred Wolverines, even though you were probably, there are probably about a hundred Wolverines in the line, but there are at least a hundred other figures, you know, in, in the line. Or maybe there aren't a hundred, but you know what I mean? There's a large variety of figures that you could get. And of course, it wasn't just the X-Men, which they're producing. I mean, there was also... A line based on the animated uh, Spider-Man TV series, the cartoon in the 90s, Spider-Man. which is also a very cool line. And Iron Man as well. And Iron Man also kind of upped the game with the uh, sort of play features, or at least did something unique for them, 
you know, with the Iron Man figures and their sort of like chromed plastic add-ons, you can kind of like clip onto the figures to kind of make them more than just plastic figures. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, I always felt, I mean, I never got those Iron Man figures. They've got Iron Man and War Machine. Uh, I think I got Spider Woman because David had the Iron Man's toys himself. So. Shame, uh, Paulie. Rob and I worked it out a little bit better than that, I'm afraid. Yeah, for sure. He broke the ice by getting Iron Man first, and I uh, snapped up War Machine as quickly as I could after him. I mean, it was cool. I always loved that removable armor feature. I always thought it was, like, quite sexy. You know, yeah, but your a... good pal Dave had Iron Man in one hand, War Machine in the other, and leaving you with Spider Woman? Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, fuck it, I had Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine. Wolverine, uh, yes. Well, friends, it was a very good time. The marriage of action figure and cartoon series really was in its heyday with these Marvel series. Because there was the X-Men series, there was the Spider-Man series, there was Iron Man, there was the Fantastic Four. Mm. What am I forgetting? I'm sure there were more. Uh, Hulk. Well, I there think... was a Hulk cartoon. Hulk had a cartoon as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then and of all course... of them had associated action figures, and all of them were interactive. I mean, you could have your whole Marvel Universe playing with itself. Woohoo! <laughs> that Spider-Man line that uh, Robert mentioned earlier for me was actually quite a favorite line. I started off that collection by getting Carnage because I had recently. Very good figure. Yeah, he was great. Incidentally, um, Rob's great. first one as well from that line. Oh, mm. th- that was also around the time. I mean, despite the animated series, that was also around the time that Maximum Carnage was sort of happening in the in the comic run and there was a lot of merchandise and there was actually a game called Maximum Carnage which I loved. And uh, I really liked Carnage from that. I mean, my my younger self was quite uh, enamored with Carnage as a character. I always thought he was quite evil. And uh, yeah, I got him. I was like, yeah. And I, and I don't regret it because we wouldn't see another Carnage for a while after that. And then I picked up the other symbiotes. I mean, I got Eddie Brock. Oh, I got Venom. That one with that horrible, squishy, removable head thing that made him look really bad. Like all kinds of stupid when he had that ha- head on. <laughs> I think I pretty much had all of them from that line with the exception of Smythe and that spider robot thing uh, or alien thing. Alien spider slayer. Yes. Yeah, I got that because I thought he looked a bit like an alien. So I was like, cool. You know, I I think I always meant to get him, but I just never got into it. And Smythe, I don't know. I I don't know what the action feature was, but I remember being put off by Smythe, but... You know, like, oh, I just don't really want this figurine. It's kind of like a weird up-and-down arm punchy action. Oh, yes, yeah, he was this... a Thundercat. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't go for that. I really hated it when they did things where they had clickety-clackety arms or, like, punchy arms. That, that is a feature mm-hmm. I sort of avoided quite a bit as a kid. The cool thing about the Spider-Man line is that, yeah, they were gimmicks, but also a lot of the figures didn't have gimmicks as well. So you were just getting a cool figure. Exactly. And especially often with the villains. I mean, like Carnage, a cool snap-on weapons. Hobgoblin had his, his glider. Obviously, Doc Octopus had his very short tentacles. <laughs> tentacles with that thing at the back that you pull and they sort of, like, clinch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But in general, the figures were just figures, which was really nice. But, I mean, obviously all of this was very inspirational for uh, G.I. Joe when they brought out the G.I. Joe Extreme cartoon and toy series, which was... Very different from uh, what G.I. Joe toy collectors were used to. Did you guys ever pick up any of those uh, G.I. Joe Extreme figures? I didn't even see them. For whatever reason, G.I. Joe Extreme, I don't know, didn't make it here. 
what I can gather looking at the toys now is that someone got it into their heads over at Hasbro that kids wanted lesser articulated action figures. Oh, yeah, that moron. I hope he was fine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, it increases the durability of the figures. But I think that missed the point slightly. Mm. In order mm. for lesser articulated action figures to work, you have to have a massive following. I think they were basing G.I. Joe Extreme essentially on the Marvel superhero action figures, but with a heavy dose of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in your typical G.I. Joe world. So you had a guy who actually used a guitar to uh, annihilate his enemies. I mean, uh, you know. Really? That kind of off-the-wall 90s <laughs> schlock. His name was Metalhead, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> Lord. It was not rock and roll. I don't know if you guys ever saw these, and it sort of falls into the same line, but they did a series of Youngblood figures, um, and they used to sort of sit there gathering dust at uh, Toys R Us because they were weird. They were, like, sort of pre-posed as well, and they had, like, really lame sort of articulation, as well as some of them having, like, bendy features. Like, you know, like, when they put wire and shit, and then it's just stupid. It's like a bendy figure. I hate that. I hate that so much. The along. point that I wanted to make about G.I. Joe Extreme, well, firstly, it had a very cool intro song. Very catchy. Definitely. Let's hear that now. I'm surrounded on all sides. The odds of survival are a million to one. G.I. Joe Extreme! With a collapse of the former superpower. Several powerful factions now by for control. The threat is real. An evil organization calling itself Scar. Not only as Scar. Their goal, nothing short of total world domination. Led by this man, known only as Iron Claw. We will be victorious! Not on my watch! G.I. Joe Extreme had a G.I. Joe character that I can't find an appropriate correlation with in a real American hero. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ballistic, but Ballistic was every bit the character that Snake Eyes could have been if Snake Eyes was a man of more words. Ballistic was like your bad boy of the team, your Wolverine character, and every bit the kind of protagonist that would have generated a bit of a following. Or Especially in the 90s. Or anti-hero, know? exactly. Yeah. So... He had chewed. It, <laughs> he had chewed. Uh, it, it occurs to me that there's a glaring hole in the G.I. Joe ranks. 
hell, maybe a guy like Lowlights could have been your ballistic if he got it more of a share of the action mm. and mm. more spotlights. But, yeah, he just didn't exist. That character type was not filled out in the, the canonic core characters of a real American hero. At least not on the Joe side of the fence. I suppose Tunnel Rat to a degree, but only in the movie, no, you know? No, Tunnel Rat ain't serious enough. Tunnel Rat just seems like he's going through life having a good time and, you know, punching cobras and throwing hand grenades. Yeah, okay, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, that's he the, the buddy to the cop. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, it was his pal, Big Lob, that threw the grenades. I don't know, Tunnel Rat just ran around and crawled through tunnels. But yeah, let's not go there. Uh, if if listeners want to get into that conversation, you can check out our movie commentary that you can watch with the G.I. Joe movie, uh, the good one, not the live action ones. And uh, yeah, (laughs) onwards with your story. So you're saying we needed a Wolverine in G.I. Joe. Mm, We needed a ballistic in G.I. Joe. But I think I might be speaking into the void because I don't know how many folks really had any idea or any interest in G.I. Joe Extreme. So I'm going to switch tracks to something that you might have. Now, the members of this podcast don't have much to do with this particular line of action figures, but perhaps some of you do. The Kenner Superpowers line from 1985 was every bit the precursor and chief inspiration, I assume, for Marvel's similar range of five-inch action figures in the early 90s. And that line, the Kenner Superpowers line, included, obviously, DC Universe characters like Superman, Batman, Robin, Green Lantern, Flash, baddies like Lex Luthor, Darkseid, and it was quite an extensive line and very, very good. In fact, I remember salivating over a commercial that showed off Brainiac and thinking, this is the most outrageously detailed and cool-looking action figure ever. I need it. I want it. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Of course, that ship had sailed long before we got around to checking out Toy Isles. True that. And I always remember seeing the advertisement in comics Mm -hmm. for the superpowers, kind of with like uh, Superman sort of bashing a Lex Luthor. Like, here's oh, cool yeah. power action. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, so definitely that. a line that I wish I could have got into, but which I eventually managed to find a figure, like an individual figure, which was uh, Robin from the series. And limited articulation, but not a disappointment at all. Hmm. He could bend at the knees. That was a thing. Yes. That was and definitely that. Just having knee articulation makes a big difference in a figure. Blow job action. Oh, dear. <laughs> and it had to be the boy wonder. Yeah. But of course, Kenner, in holding the license for the DC Universe characters, then got to release Batman action figures to tie in both with the live action films, the Tim Burton Batman movies, and Mm. the animated series. And that was quite an enduring toy line that kind of developed in parallel with Marvel's uh, efforts through Toy Biz. Mm. Yeah, that was a cool toy line. Well, okay. Let me put it to you this way. Animated <laughs> TV series uh, toys are amazing. I'm not the biggest fan of the movie license figures, but I managed to pick up an Arctic Batman long ago from a model shop in Four Ways. And uh, I had quite a bit of fun with that toy. I don't know. Those figures were always like cool in, in the sense that they were kind of gothic. 
You know? Was that an Arctic Batman from the Batman Returns line or from yes, the yeah, animated series line? No, no, uh, from the Batman Returns line. Yeah, yeah. Well, say what you will about the movie figures, but it's the only way you're likely to get a Michael Keaton likeness. <laughs> yeah, it's actually incredible. They got his chin. That jawline is unmistakable. Correct. You know, you look at it and you know that that is Michael Keaton in that outfit. Mm-hmm. And with uh, the recent successes of Birdman, <laughs> that's Birdman, guys. Come on. You can get a Birdman <laughs> action figure. Just scratch off the oh, bat symbol on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe give him some, like, bird feet. But, you know, let's not get too involved. <laughs> the Kenner Batman Returns line is infamous for me for exposing my mother as a liar. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. In the winter of 1993, I was deathly ill with gastro. I had a stomach bug, and it was relentless. I should have been in bed for weeks, the entire winter holidays, in fact. But, as luck would have it, my parents had planned a holiday trip to Europe. I needed to get a shot before I got on the plane, otherwise I probably would have keeled over and died. Or lose sat all over the place. Being an eight-year-old, I was not a big fan of needles at all. In fact, I was mortified at the prospect of having a needle jabbed into my buttocks. I was screaming, basically. My brother chased me around the doctor's chambers trying to get hold of me. If you ever want to see how, how quickly a sick child can move uh, when forced, just threaten him with a needle. So my mother used a different tactic, and that was bribery. That if I took the shot and got on the plane, she would get me the Catwoman action figure from that line. Ooh. Now, this action figure just fired my imagination. I mean, <laughs> it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Hmm. It's a woman. Hmm. Oh, yeah. In a cat suit. Hmm. Mm. With a whip. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Already? What really had credits for my eight-year-old mind the fact that she came with a grapple gun. How is it that oh. none of the Batman figures from that line came with a damn grapple hook launcher? Something Lord so knows. so essential to Batman's arsenal. And yet we've got Laser Batman, Deep Dive Batman, and Arctic Batman. No Batman <laughs> with a freaking grapple hook. Or a Batarang for that matter. So this Catwoman was an essential, because her grapple hook launcher was going straight to Batman. I took the shot like a man, an eight-year-old little man, and was wheeled in a wheelchair onto the plane. But I never got my Catwoman. Oh, you got to claim that now, Stephen. Come on. Deceit, friends. <laughs> but you know what? As soon as you have kids, you forgive your parents for everything. And no, I don't have an yeah. announcement to make. <laughs> but maybe one of these days I'll be able to look mom in the eye and say I forgive you for Catwoman <laughs> so we've addressed the beginnings of the Toy Biz superhero line now it's time to discuss its ultimate demise in the latter part of the 90s something very special happened in Toyland a line of toys from a breakaway Marvel artist's uh, company 
burst the bubble on detail and paint apps. I speak about McFarlane toys, ladies and gentlemen. Spearheaded by Mr. Todd McFarlane of Spawn fame. And his action figure company, which really kind of rewrote the book on the level of realism that an action figure should possess. And it was then named Todd Toys. What? Just, mm. Yeah, it was Todd Toys. Was yeah. The, yeah, it was Todd Toys. That was the, the first line of Spawn figures comes from Todd Toys. The first line meshed well with your Marvel action figures. Mm-hmm. They had very flat colors. They fitted the same five-inch scale. Rob, you had that first Spawn, and he yeah, he, he looked the awesome figure. He fitted right very in. much so. But shortly after that, the scale increased, the detail increased, and all of a sudden, your new action figures didn't play so nice with your old Marvel and DC characters by Toybiz and Kenner, respectively. Soon went the same way as McFarlane, ditching the five-inch scale increasing the size of the action figures and, of course, trying very hard to adopt the same level of detail. With Marvel, we got Marvel Legends. And no one's going to complain about those. But it is with some level of sadness that I realize there's no way you could ever have them play with your older Toybiz figures. The scales just don't fit. So maybe at the end of this comes a bit of a parable. Don't ditch your scale too many times. I guess, linking back to G.I. Joe, this means... Perhaps a six-inch line of Joe figures is not the answer. But hey, if a company's going to make a buck, who am I to tell them not to? I'd rather Joe stay in the, well, now four-inch realm uh, than to adopt a new line. But, you know, whatever breathes new life into our beloved toys. I know that I'm slightly outspoken on this topic, but um, I think the... Star Wars Black Series is a good shot in the arm for the line, especially because Hasbro opted to do two scales. Um, they opted to stay with the original four-inch figure line that we are quite well accustomed to. In fact, and to be fair, it's not really a four-inch figure line because I've got that Starkiller and mm. uh, I've got Darth Malgus, and they are still shorter than Snake Eyes. Like, they're, they're slightly shorter than my 50th anniversary Snake Eyes. So, you know... It's it's not like they're going too far there, and that's okay. And um, they've got a six-inch figure line riding with it. A problem for me that I'm seeing, like with the catalogs and things, is that they're making all the vehicles for the six-inch figures. So there's like a six-inch speeder bike coming out, but there's no equivalent for the four-inch figures. And I'm like kind of worried about that side of it of the collectible in a weird way. Because if they start doing six-inch G.I. Joes, okay, cool, yes, I feel that it might be a necessary shot in the arm for the fan base and, and for the product or for the product line itself. But, you know, I don't want them to not neglect the, the four-inch figures, you know, in favor of making everything for the six-inch figures. It's kind of like, you know, getting a new brother or sister and they get all the cool shit. I agree with you, Paul, but I do disagree. Uh, Star Wars three-and-three-quarter or four-inch line... Have plenty of speeder bikes, mate. Hello? Paulie? Am I alone?
Um, so that made me happy. I'm back. Yeah. Hey, this guy back. get some food. No, man. It just dropped for some reason. <laughs> okay, listen, as a safety food. precaution, as a safety precaution, let's just check if it recorded. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it recorded. Have you checked, Stephen? Okay, cool. Whoa, nice one. That nice actually one. makes me happy to it's hear that. recording again. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Record it up, motherfuckers. Record so, it up. So, so, so. So, to close out the show, gentlemen. Yeah. Your finest memories of the Toy Biz Marvel superhero line. Your personal high points, if you will. Your favorite action figures or toys. Hit it, boys. Just Marvel, or can we Kenner a little bit? Ooh. For you, okay. Paul, Ooh. I'll allow it. Yay! But the Kenner action figures, man, <laughs> that's an entirely different conversation, let me tell you. Well, let's let's call it from the era, and let's keep it within Kenner and Toybus, and try not to stray too far, because maybe we'll have a Kenner episode one Agreed. day. Agreed. But it is important to mention them in the same breath, because they came out at the same time, and Lord knows, they found their way into the same living room battles. I mean, mm. Batman was an honorary member of the X-Force in my games. Hey, Robbie? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was just cool to be able to cross universes like that. Yeah. Have them be the same size, you know? An animated series, Batman was just an honorary member in my house. Okay? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I will shamelessly say, but I did buy quite a bit of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin toys from the line. Thank you. Yep. Were you not hating on the movie action figures just now? I do hate on movie action figures, but that line specifically, they had some really fantastic designs. Like, uh -huh. they really did. And I still got some of them, and they're cool. And I would love to go into that a little bit more in a, in a later episode. So, you're top of the pops, Paul. Okay, because I don't want to go into Kenner too much, I'm going to keep it down to about three, because I think that it'll be more exciting to tell you my other reveals in the later episode. Yes, I'm really writing the later episode card here. Um... Wow, number three. Number three <laughs> would probably be... Oh, actually, I'm going to throw it in there. James Bond Jr., that stupid yellow motorbike that turned into a submarine. That was a cool memory. My mom actually stashed that under my pillow. And uh, I sort of went to bed and I was like, this is weird. And then underneath my pillow was this vehicle. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And it worked really well with some of my X-Men and Batman figures. So that was, a, that was a cool memory. And I had a lot of fun with that. You know, it used to bomb around mountains I made in the bed and then, you know, had the submarine mode and then the doors and some of the parts could take come off, so it was cool to have, like, battle damage. It was that. Second place in there hang was... Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's some, some, some weird and wonderful stuff coming out of your mouth, bro. Your mother took the toy out of its box and put it under no, your no, pillow. No, no, not the toy. No, no, the box. The box. She put the box under my pillow. This is oh. my mother we're speaking about here. She knows. <laughs> Don't open the toy for Paul. That's bad news <laughs> that doesn't work i'm sure that happened once upon a time and i reacted badly <laughs> i don't know if yeah. you had the deep dive batman from the batman returns action figure i did perfect occupant for that sub cycle wouldn't you say i would say so definitely i mean he was also yellow like, i think he's yellow and black he was exactly right so ready disco. to attack damn right <laughs> in second place i'm gonna say wolverine wolverine brought me a lot of joy as a toy and and in a weird way, more than Wolverine, his Weapon X iteration that they did later on, I always thought that was a much better sculpt. I loved how how, how dynamic it was, and, and it had these, it had much better claws, and you could really get like a 
claw slashing kind of action thing going for it. I also loved that it had no action feature aside from removable helmet. I thought that was always great. And uh, I was looking at it the other day, and it's still a great sculpt. What a what an awesome toy that was. And I I would say the yeah, the Wolverines, specifically those two, and getting those two were, were great memories because those were my sort of de facto figures. Something I haven't really mentioned to you guys uh, and to our, our listeners, but Dave actually went the extra mile and made file cards for him and myself. And uh, I was Wolverine, and he was Snake Eyes. You know that was the picture used for the file cards. So. Wolverine, it was, it was great. I kind of had that going for me. Uh, so that was a good memory, and that toy went everywhere. It went back and forth between my house and David's house and friends' houses and everything, and I still got it, so you know I held on tight. Although I think I lost his machine gun along the way because he came with a machine gun. Yeah, I had that little Uzi thing. And then number one, ladies and gentlemen, the Batmobile from the animated series. Getting that thing was is one of my favorite toy memories ever. Okay, you like bastard. You yes. had that toy. Oh. I had that toy, and I worked for it, hey? I have never nagged for anything like that in my life, okay? <laughs> so, so sexy, that toy. So sexy. And I, and I used to go with my Ninja Knight Batman. It's a golden black Batman who had some great play features. He actually had what I would consider a fairly decent sort of grappling hook or launcher because he had like a bat missile, but it was con- connected to the back, and then you like press the button, and the little wings popped up, and then you could shoot it out. And, oh, excellent. And I must double check. I, I For some reason, I recall it having a string, but I don't know if I put a string on it or if it came with a string originally. But that made that figure a lot of fun. And I used to have tons of fun with that toy. Uh, and he used to be sort of my de facto Batman because for some reason, my original Batman animated series, Grey Batman, Combat Belt Batman is what he's called. I didn't get him. That was David's toy for a long time. And then what happened is I bought David a Mask of the Phantasm Batman. And then he gave me that one because he didn't need two of the same Batmans on his shelf. And that was kind of precious. So I didn't like to put that Batman in my Batmobile and stuff like that. And I'm glad that I didn't because I think if I had, I wouldn't have seen it again because my Batmobile is gone. And yeah, so Lightning Batman, I think, was in there because I still got Ninja Knight Batman. So whatever. But anyway. Awesome memory was getting that uh, Batmobile from Westgate Toys R Us, circa 1993 or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that was a cool toy and a good memory. And on to you guys. Okay, I'll do mine. In third place, I'm also going to go with a vehicle, but one that I didn't actually own. Just something that I coveted, and sadly in a pre-eBay world... Unless I saw it in the flesh, I couldn't get it. I never saw it in the flesh, so I didn't get it. But the Punisher van has got to be one of the coolest and most believable, plausible vehicles released around that time. Uh, Well, second only to the Batmobile, of course. (laughs) The Punisher van (laughs) would have solved a lot of problems for for my X-Force transport needs. Because <laughs> I had my X-Force team, and X-Force is a term used very loosely, because this team not only comprised X-Force members like Cable and Shatterstar, but also, as mentioned before, Batman, Spider-Man, and I think, gosh, Captain America was in there? Help me out, Rob. What was our X-Force roster? Basically, all the good guys, uh, Logan included, Everyone, they were all members of X-Force. Because X-Force were the hip, new, cool team. 
and not to mention the fact that a lot of their members carried guns. So they really appealed to uh, to our post-G.I. Joe hangover. So the Punisher van, at least on its listed features, builds it as the ultimate anti-crime vehicle. And the features include secret rooftop weapons platform, basically a big gun station that pops out of the roof, pivoting guns hidden in the front grille. Too cool! The front grille folds down and guns pop out. I mean, what? Is this the Punisher vehicle or is this like a James Bond vehicle? Anyway, either way, the X-Force would have gotten great mileage out of that toy. It had a roll-out machine gun that drops out the back gate, spring-action hubcaps that pop out and I suppose do damage to vehicles that it sidles up against, and hinged front and rear doors. So it was fully functional as a van should be. You could open up the back, you could open up the two side doors. And this just seemed like an absolute must. It looked pretty incognito. I mean, you could, of course, remove the Punisher stickers that uh, it had all over it. And I'm sure that's something Frank Castle himself might have actually sanctioned. Uh, because <laughs> why would the Punisher roll around in a vehicle that says, The Punisher? I didn't have a Punisher figure, nor did I have much desire to get one. But that vehicle would have seen a lot of use as Cable's ride. Which strikes me as odd now that I think of it in retrospect, because can't Cable just teleport everyone where they need to go? Mm. Probably, yeah. But, I mean, we may do. We had the awesome uh, Ghostbusters uh, vehicle. <laughs> yeah, the fracking Ecto-1. We, oh, God. We had the Ecto-1, and it was the nominal X-Force bitchin' ride. But yeah. I wouldn't say it was the coolest. I really the want Punisher that. The Punisher van would have been would have been a bit cooler. Well, Paul, uh, it's seeing no action now. I'd just be cool to display with my actual Ghostbusters, you know, collection. Big fan and all. Mm, it might look a little bit tacky next to uh, your ultra cool modern Ghostbusters. Yeah, figures. true. But anyways, that was my number three. Uh, in number one and two because they're kind of jostling for position. Uh, I got them both at the same time. It are the Cable and Deadpool action figures from the 1992 series. These guys were inseparable. They became instant favorites of mine. I had to know more about these characters. On the one hand, you had a very Spider-Man-looking dude that came with swords. Hmm. What's that all about? Uh, on the other hand, you had a big guy with exaggerated shoulder pads a glowing bionic eye, and a big-ass gun. So they appealed to me on so many levels and became the core of our new play pattern. These guys were always at the center of the action, and they were damn fine figures. Cable's clobbering shoulder action is still intact. Oh, yeah. He can karate chop with the best of them. I wish I could say the same for the handle on his Gatling gun. That broke early in the game. But don't worry, a little bit of press stick didn't hurt Cable none. How about you, Robbie? Your top three. So my number three would be Stephen's number one slash two, Deadpool. At the time, I didn't know who this figure, who this character was. So I, I just enjoyed his look. So I just made him do anything I wanted him to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at first you don't succeed, make up the mutant ability. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, he, I I gave him everything. He could fly and like zap people. 
Essentially, I turned him into the the Deadpool of the uh, Wolverine Origins movie. <laughs> I am <laughs> sacrilegious, that is. <laughs> Except, as you say, he could fly. I also recall him having telepathic abilities, telekinetic yeah. abilities. He could move things with his mind, read your thoughts. Uh, he, he had magical anything. abilities, cast spells. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, he just looks so cool, I thought he, he should be able to do anything. And shoot ponies out of his ass or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Break the fourth wall mercilessly. Okay, so that that was my number three, Deadpool, the god of superpowers. <laughs> my number two was uh was an awesome figure. Yeah, probably my favorite X Men figure. Um, and that is Kane. And why I like him so much is because his play feature is it just doesn't ruin your playtime with the figure. It kind of adds to it which not a lot of play features, I think, do. And it works even now. Basically, you can pull his left hand out. It's attached by a string into his body, so you can kind of throw it around like a flail, and he can hit people, and you push a button on his back, and it pulls it back in, which is freaking awesome, and I, I still like this figure to this day. Mm-hmm. Is that what I hear in the background there? It sounded like you were pulling out his play feature. <laughs> <laughs> Negatory. I do not have the figures assembled before me tonight. But Kane, yes, amazing. Amazing. That figure's action feature, not only unobtrusive, but also mechanically sound and long-lasting. There ain't nothing wrong with it. And it is actually representative of a power that Kane exhibited in an issue of X-Force. I think it might have even been X-Force number one. Is it possible? I just remember there being a additional story at the end of the actual issue, which showed Deadpool assaulting some target and Kane being assigned to stop him. Kane fires off his hand, which then proceeds to strangle Deadpool, <laughs> to which Deadpool manages to get out a stifled, Ew, gross! But yeah, I I find that feature to be quite excellent and and a perfect example of how a feature can be executed well. It takes the typical spring-loaded hand-launching, you know, um, Japanese uh, manga character action feature or big robot character action feature and bumps it up a notch by having it snap back into place via Mm. a... I mean, it goes one better than being made out of string. It's a cord, a nylon cord, and it is tough. So, yes, Uh, I think all features should be, if you have to have an action feature, make it like the hand of Kane. Oh, excellent. The hand of Kane. (laughs) Yes, folks, we coined it tonight on G.I. Joburg. You heard it here. So use it from now on. What isn't the Hand of Kane is a Forger's feature. Even though he was one of my, my first figure and one of my favorites, I think his, his sort of like arm flip uppy quick shooting action, like quick draw action, just broke really, really fast. I think, I mean, yeah, as Stephen mentioned, he had to return his original one to get another one. But eventually my, my Forge figure fell apart, but we kind of fixed that with like a huge glob of Prestic in the middle of the figure. And he, <laughs> We just saved his life. We were like, okay, now, now you're Prestig Man. <laughs> and it was cool because yeah. then you could have this cool feature of him like falling apart whenever he got hurt. 
But I could just never figure out his his mutant ability from the toy. I was always like, is he really good at shooting? Uh, <laughs> what is with this guy? Not gonna buy him. Move along. <laughs> well, that's the problem. His mutant ability isn't really something you can manifest as a play feature. I mean, his ability is basically to innately understand like how technology works. That's not something you can make physical. So. At least Kane's is true to the comics, even though it's true to a uh, Rob Liefeld comic, but we're not going to hold that against him. Well, Kane's entire look, of course, as with most of those X-Force figures, is completely the brainchild of Rob Liefeld. I mean, the very high-waisted grey pants, the <laughs> inexplicable straps with pouches on your thigh... I mean, hell, it's yes. effectively like a garter that a bride would wear, except <laughs> combat version. And this very, very high bomber jacket with a high collar. I mean, you you had to just fall in line with the Rob Liefeld uh, superhero look. You couldn't fight it. You had to just submit. You had to accept it, uh, I... even the, the sort of improbability of Shatterstar's swords. How does he actually kill oh, people with those things? He's that strong. He can he can drive them through you, even though they are two blades set side by side. Yes, connected mm. by little like slivers of metal. <laughs> I think that was a toy consideration, wasn't it? Probably, yeah. I'm actually not sure. I could get this issue of the X Force right now. In fact, I might. Maybe an interesting bauble of, of wisdom will will fall. <laughs> oh, but we still have to do your number one, hey, Rob? Yes, yes, that's what I was I was, I was saying. I'm I'm digressing. Um, my number one figure is the Iron Man figure from the Iron Man cartoon TV series, just because his play feature basically fits so well with who the character is. You know, with the extra armor bits, and it it is cool to play with. Either he can power up as the fight goes along as he's playing. You know, like. Ah, more turbo boosters. Or you can sort of knock them off as he plays. And just, I still have that figure today. I mean, I, I keep it quite, quite near to me, and I sometimes sort of put the little things on again and take them off. And it's still held up, even though, you know, sort of the diecasty type chrome stuff has uh, chipped off for the, for the most part. Well, it pleases me that these toys were played with, and played with well. There ain't no museum pieces amongst our early toy biz stuff. Yeah. The stuff all saw action and much beloved toys for me personally and I know for you guys as well. So every bit deserving of a dedicated episode of G.I. Joburg. But folks, next episode marks our 50th anniversary. I can't give away the details just yet, but be assured we're going to talk Joe and only Joe. Oh yeah. Yo, Joe. Where'd you go? <laughs> Where'd you go, Joe? You I don't know. Back. We'll see you back in episode 50. Yo. Yo. <laughs> Keep it thrifty. Yeah. Not shifty. No money. Not shifty. Ain't that nifty? Uh. Oh. All right. Well, thank you, G.I. Joe Burgers. See you in the next one, whenever the mood takes us to uh, set up one of these sessions again. <laughs> from our yeah. evil villain Steve <laughs> <laughs> from Rob who's, who's laughing hey. hand of Cain loving Rob <laughs> and yeah. I wish I could have my Batmobile back Paul this has been G.I. Joe Book episode 
One of you guys. 49, dude. 49. <laughs> Come on. I know 50, exactly 50 what is it. the next one. So, 49. Get yeah, I know. I just hijacked it. I just wanted one of you guys to finish it off. I know what episode number it is. Come on. I know this is episode 48. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> the odds are a thousand to one. And that's the way we like him. T.I. Joe Extreme. May the hand of Cain be with all of you on this fine evening. Good night, fellas. Good night, Stevie and Paul. Good night, Robbo and Stevie. We sound like the Ramones. <laughs> Whee! <laughs>